Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker, and today is a bumper episode as tasty as a box of chocolates. Yep, there's something for everyone as we head into the sit on your sofa and binge watch or read season. <laughs> this is a rare recommendation episode in which, Lisa Joe, I am super excited about every single thing we describe here. I'm actually glad it's raining cats and dogs today so I can get started watching and reading today. So let's get comfy, friends. Here we go. Chrissy, I've loved that series we did about kind of gearing up mentally and emotionally for the holidays. It's been good. And now we kick into holiday season where we do know people are going to get cozy on a sofa with a blanket or hot chocolate and, you know, watch Hallmark. We understand. There's no judgment. Please enjoy your (laughs) Hallmark. We hope we haven't ruined Hallmark for you. Right. This is no judgment zone. Always. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Always. And also, we thought we'd add a few more things that you can add to your reading and viewing list over the holiday season. And um, this is a fun episode for us to do occasionally. We did one a few weeks back, episode 2003. (laughs) (laughs) No. Wow. That would be dark. (laughs) Episode 203. So it was back on October 19th. It's episode 203, and it's called Get Cozy for These Recommendations, in which Christy recommended three TV shows, which was odd for all of us, and (laughs) I recommended three books. And uh, today, we're going to Freaky Friday back into our normal bodies. Yes, right. (laughs) And I'll have some TV recommendations, and Christy will have some books. Right. I'm wondering, Lisa Joe, did you hear from anyone like email or social media after your recommendations who said, oh, I got the book or, you know, I, I'm i reading it or did you I get did. anything like I that? I did. I heard from several people who had uh, dug into some of the books that I talked about. It made me really pleased. I love when people screenshot and send me like a picture of it or that they got it from the library. I actually had a friend here this morning where I was talking about the uh, the Sherlock Holmes, uh, Dr. Watson YA series that I talked about. And she said, I just listened to your episode with Christy and I kind of had agreed with her because I had lent her the first book in the series. And so today I asked for it back, Lorene, if you're listening. (laughs) And she said, you know, I started reading it and I kind of feel the same as Christy. And uh, and then I listened to the podcast. So now I want to keep it longer and keep trying. (laughs) I, I was like, oh, no, maybe I actually am like a teenager on the inside. Maybe it's not a good series and I just like it because I don't have no, good no, taste. No. I think, yes, I think you can be oh, a teenager on yes. the inside and it's still a great series. <laughs> I just, I was always old, Lisa Joe. I was an old kid. I was an old teenager. I have never been my appropriate age. I am growing into it, but that is not a criticism of you. I love that you are young inside. <laughs> well, I had others who are reading it and love it. So I, awesome. I stand by my recommendation as being awesome. one of the most insightful and beautiful reimaginings of Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Um, did you have anyone reach out to you about watching the I show? I did. Yeah. So I had someone reach out with um, a podcast rec- recommendation with some more behind the se- like conversation about the Rings of Power series. Okay. Um, so that was really great because I listened to it. Uh, now I feel like I need to tell you what that was. So I'm quickly looking it up. Um, but while I do that, somebody else, let's see. So I got that. Somebody else told me, oh, yes, this was sweet. They thanked me for recommending the great 
British baking show because they said they used to watch it and love it and then they kind of forgotten about it. So it was really fun to pick it up again. And then um, what was the other one I recommended? Oh, yes. So I had a couple people say, thank you for telling me about the detectorists because um, they loved it. And Thaddeus and I, I don't think this had happened. My son Thaddeus, I don't think this had happened when we recorded I think it was recording that prompted it. Um, I reached out to that and said, Thad, do you want to watch that show again? <laughs> and he did. We, we, we oh, rewatched so all fun. the episodes. And then even though we had just um, rewatched, we, um, he struggles a bit with his laundry. So he generally has a big old laundry pile going in his room and, um, uh, a load had come through and I told him, Thaddeus, please do not just take this up and dump this on the floor. So I said, sit here with me. We will watch a show oh, and you can fold your laundry. Clever. And even though we had just rewatched the entire three seasons, he said, okay, maybe we can put on the detectress again. Aww. And I thought, yes, yes. Great. Okay, so I, now I'm looking for this. What did I just listen to about... You know what? We're just going to link to it in the podcast. Yeah. I will find it. We'll, we'll link to it in the show notes um, so that if you, too, want to learn more about um, Rings of Power, you can listen to this great podcast I listen to, but I can't find it right now. Anyhow, so yeah, it was fun to hear from people, and I hope that our, let's call them normal recommendations today, <laughs> <laughs> books from me, TV from you, are also things that bring pleasure to people, knowing that, you know, we will not all like the same things, yes. but I love that we are offering our listeners lots of variety. And I have, like, my variety today is pretty intense. These are, I've got three very different books here. Okay, I feel like you should kick us off then. Okay, so you may have seen this, Lisa Joe, because I just shared often um, on Instagram, just quickly in my stories, when I sit down to read in the evenings, I'll just pop a photo up of what I'm reading. I don't know, there just is something very companionable about that, just to say, hi world, I'm reading this book. So I think it was just last night, I um, shared on Instagram that I am reading Something I never read, which is basically a celebrity memoir. Oh, Can no you see way. It? I didn't even know so, he had a new one. He had one out. Now I want to go get that. Yes. So this is the new book by Bono. So if you are a YouTube fan, you probably already know that he has this new book out called Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story. And wow. um it's fantastic. So I normally would not talk about a book I haven't finished. I certainly wouldn't recommend a book I haven't finished. And I haven't finished this one, but I feel really okay about okay. telling you that if you have any wow. interest in U2 <laughs> or Bono or even like the intersection of faith and creativity and art and memoir, you should read this book. Um it has, first of all, a really fascinating structure. So just mm. like the subtitle says, 40 songs, one story, he basically works through, like each chapter is one of these 40 songs, starting with songs that maybe were inspired by something in his childhood. Um, and you can listen to an accompanying like a playlist. So if you go on Spotify, there is the Surrender 40 Songs, One Story playlist that it's already set up for you that you can like read a chapter, then listen to the song, then wow. read the chapter. And I've been, I mean, I grew up with 
you too. So this is like, yep. this book is for my generation, right? So it, it's, you know, really speaking to me. Um, and I thought I was super familiar with his music, but um, there are songs here I realize I've never really listened to well. There are songs I've listened to a million times where I didn't actually, where I had no idea, you know, what was the inspiration behind it. And and then this is the main reason why I'm loving it. He, Bono, is such a... Um, like he's kind, he's really surprising me. Well, it's not surprising me, but it's a relief to realize just how self-reflective he is. Like it is clear that he has done work in terms of growth and healing, mm. <laughs> and and it shows. Like he's able to. This isn't this isn't some ego celebrity just making themselves look good or someone where you just think, wow, they are not very self-aware. Hmm. Um, it, it is not that. You know, here is someone who has gone through stuff, who is very honest about that, who has interesting things to say about faith and art. Um, and again, hmm. I'm just at the beginning. I will give a little... Not warning, but I will say he he lost his mom as a kid, and I didn't know that. And I didn't he, know so that. The, the memoir, you know, begins with some of that storytelling, but it is it's so beautiful and it's precious and it's well told. And I, you know, it made me cry. It was really. Wow. It wasn't hard to read, but it's like you know he's telling a real story here. So it, this is not all easy, easy fun. You know, he's from Ireland. He writes about how violence and terrorism and so on um, marked his childhood and youth. It's fantastic, Lisa Jo. Oh Can we just God, talk about I'm this book? So we have to talk about the others. <laughs> I'm so surprised to hear, A, that you bought a celebrity. Did you get out the library or did you buy it? No, I bought it. Wow. You saw hard cover. Because as you were talking, I literally got onto Amazon. I'm on our library website trying to see if I can get it. But I'm tempted to buy it based on this recommendation because I have an obsession with memoir. It's my favorite genre. I have obsessively read the first chapters of like probably at least 50 memoirs now, just trying to see how different authors do it. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, as one of the greatest rock bands of all time, who write, you know, are storytellers. It makes sense. But not all singers can translate to long form. I'm now immediately curious of like who his editor was. I went and immediately looked to see who published him. So it's Snopf Publishing House. And I want to know, did he have a ghostwriter? Did he write it himself? Like, I'm so curious about all of these things. And I'm sad because my kids' generation have never heard of him. They don't know who U2 is. I, I, I can't know. fathom a world where someone doesn't know who U2 is. I know. So I partially why I'm reading this is because well, it was maybe just last Sunday. So we have a a wonderful new priest at our church and one of the first things he is doing is teaching a class on Ecclesiastes. So okay. I have not made everyone because of travel, but most of them I've been there wow. on a Sunday morning and at the last class this past week he played a song by you too. Um, just saying it was a very Ecclesiastes song. Which, which one I, I never thought about. found and what I'm looking right. for. It was not. You would think that, but it was not. It was um, City of Blinding Lights, I think it's called. So he played the song, and sometimes my son Thaddeus goes to this class with me, sometimes he doesn't. When I slipped into the church service after the class, Thad had not been with me, I sat next to Thad and I said, Thad, you missed a good class. Um, Father Philip played a U2 song, and Thaddeus said, who? Oh, it's tragic. And, and I, my heart like broke and crumbled inside of me. That's how I felt too. And, and I was sitting in church, so I could not, I couldn't say like, what? I, I just had to sit there with it. So on the drive home, I was like, Thaddeus, 
And I and I made him listen to all these U2 songs. And so then, you know, to his credit, he said, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I know this music. And I'm like, no, no, clearly not well enough. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been listening to a lot of U2 in the house this oh, week. And, yeah. Oh, but here's, okay, here's one more thing, Lisa Joe. Well, I don't know, one more thing. I, I You might just have to tell me to stop talking about this book. But he, um, one of my favorite bits so far is he's right, he's, He's t- giving us a story behind a song that is about his mother, his mother who, who died when he was 14. Huh. And he talks about how on the eve of the release of that song, he completely panicked and thought, what am I doing to like um, share, like, who do I think I am to like let this out there, this super intimate, super mm. personal, like he just... He mm. it, he just thought, no, I can't do it. Like the vulnerability and like he just, he was like, I can't, I can't. And this is at a point in his career where like he was very well established. Um, and he actually made a move to like have it erased from mm. the album. He decided, wow. I can't do it. I wow. cannot risk my heart in this way. But it was too late. Apple had already like entered oh, it into all wow. their little digital things and he yeah. couldn't, he couldn't, couldn't get it back. It. And then Lisa Joe, it turned out without him knowing it, that the day it was released was the exact day in September that was the anniversary no. of the last time he had spoken with his mother. Oh, my gosh. And so, he writes in here how he just, like that sort of, he calls it something like a cosmic coincidence, by which he means like it, it isn't God. such a coincidence. <laughs> he, just, he just received that as like, this was good. This was meant to be. But he... He he backed out. Like he was not brave enough as an artist to do this. Oh, and I, I thought with that I love deeply. knowing that even yes. Bono, yes. even Bono is like, no, no, this is oversharing. I can't do it. Oh my gosh, because you know I've been sending I you know. panic messages I know. this week, dear listeners. I would not normally do this, but if you are praying type, you could be pray for your pal Lisa Joe, who is freaking out about a book I have due that is so intimate. It's taken three years. It's coming due in December. I don't think I can finish. I'm at a stage where I filled with just horror that I've overshared. <laughs> I'm going to be eviscerated by opinions I'm trying to communicate about complicated stories of different countries and people. And I all the time now feel like I just I want out. Like, how can I get out of this? I don't want this to happen. And I also don't know how it will happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I reading this, I thought of you and I thought, wow, even Bono, and not early in his career, like again, as a as an adult, as an established bona fide rock star, hmm. said I, I to himself, I can't do it. I can't wow. do it. And tried to get out of it. And then wow. didn't. And we have the song. The song is Iris. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's uh, it's quite a way to kick off the conversation today, I know because <laughs> now I feel distracted. <laughs> I want to go read more about the book. I guess on that note of just vulnerability um, and the things in our lives that it's interesting, you know, you can be one of the biggest rock stars in the world, but it comes down to a story about you and your mother, right? Like parenting and motherhood mm-hmm. and generations. These are things that matter because this is the DNA of who we are as human beings created in the image of a good God who places us in families. Um, so my first show recommendation that I think I've actually talked to you about, Christy, I don't know if you ever did end up finding it to watch. It is called Trying. 
And it's oh, yeah. on Apple. I've been meaning to watch that and I haven't yet. Yeah, it's yeah. on Apple TV, which we don't actually have. And I saw it recommended. I had read quite a bit about it. And so I did that thing where like I paid for a month subscription of Apple for like $6 so I could watch the whole series. And I kept coming through every night after I was done an episode. And Peter wasn't watching with me because he had got sucked into something else. But every <laughs> night I would come and be like, this is a show about goodness in a way I have not seen in years. But it is not saccharine. It is relatable. It is so ordinary and so miraculous at the same time. So the premise of the show is there's this adorable couple, Nikki and Jason. They, it's the, the show is set in England. They live in this cute little part of the city. I think they're in London and they live in kind of a cheapy part. I think they're in Camden because they can't afford to like be in a more fancy part of the city and they are renting this walk up it just has one bedroom and um they want to have a baby they've been together for many years and so they've been trying to conceive the and the story really isn't about infertility per se because in the very opening episode even in the trailer the doctor tells them they've tried several rounds of IVF and essentially the doctor breaks the news that this is just it's not going to happen for you Without going into the biological details, that door is closed. And so then they start to explore the idea of adoption. And what's so wonderful about the show is it takes the viewer on a journey from somebody who is completely ignorant about adoption care, foster care, what the system is like, and then lets us walk in their footsteps through becoming educated on what those things are, sort of the inherent selfishness of us as humans who want it our way, what the story and journey of kids really is, what the social system is like, and how badly you need support structure from your family, but they have this incredibly dysfunctional family. What I love about the show is like, if you've loved movies like Four Weddings and a Funeral or Notting Hill because of the supporting cast and how richly fleshed out they are, this is in that same genre. So the weird parents and the dysfunctional in-laws and the sister who's dating the guy who's an idiot that everyone thinks she should break up with, but instead she marries, like... (laughs) All of these characters are so rich. And this couple's journey to becoming first foster and then adoptive parents does what God does with families. It just pulls everybody like a gravitational force closer together, which, of course, amplifies their dysfunction that they have to figure out, but reminds us like at its core, family is DNA that chooses each other. So there are friends that are family. There are foster kids. There's adoption. And it also shifts the lens from parents who want children because it's like a hole a parent wants to fill to realizing actual parenting is a laying down of what we want in order to sacrificially love someone else the way Christ has structured it. I cannot recommend the show highly enough. It is so full of moments where I would just like weep from joy, (laughs) (laughs) laugh hysterically with delight. It is uplifting in all of the best ways because it's honest and it doesn't sugarcoat and it's sad and hard and good. Like it's about goodness and goodness isn't saccharine. Goodness is walking into dark, uncomfortable places and choosing to stay because you've been called or there's somebody who needs you. 
Anyway, one of the fun twists is if you've watched, if you're familiar with the actress who has got a very famous history, her name is Imelda Staunton. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, but she was like Dolores Umbridge in Harry Potter. She's on The Crown. She was in Downton Abbey. For a long time, she was in Peter's favorite TV show called Vera, which is about a British detective. Well, I've literally never seen her play any other character than kind of like a down in the mouth sort of cross judgy type person who's a little unpleasant. But in this show, she plays their social worker who's helping them with their foster care placement. She's literally like a tornado of joy in every scene. Her name is Penny. She is a delight. She loves (laughs) children. She loves, she understands the social system. She is an advocate. She's so funny. She says off the wall things like everything about her is so wonderful. How she advocates on behalf of this couple. And I just, I could go on and on. I'll just say there's this one key moment where they are facing um, the the panel who will decide whether they pass the final hurdle after like years. You realize how long the process is to get approved. They're facing the panel who are then sort of challenging the fact that the wife has a medical history with depression. And they are, they actually say something along the lines of like, we just worry that you're still working through your own brokenness and these kids are really broken and they need to come to a stable family. And then her husband is so funny and so beautiful. And he says, but, but then we're perfect. Like the kids are broken. They're coming from hard things. And guess what? We know what that's like. We've had to walk through broken things. They shouldn't go to a perfect family. They should come to a family who knows what pain is like and can show them the way through. <laughs> I just wow. like, sobbed. It's so wonderful. It's you have to, it's called trying. <laughs> Everybody should, it should be required watching to be a human in the world, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. That sounds fantastic. I knew as soon as you first told me about it a while ago. Oh, yes, I will watch that. I will love that. But you know how sometimes you just, almost like you like, I like knowing there's this great show out there waiting for me. Right. And and that means I'm not like rushing off to watch it tonight. I'm sort of like savoring the idea that I know what I might watch next. So I think I've just been savoring it for a while and I haven't actually taken the plunge. Um, But I will. And maybe, yeah, maybe over this upcoming holiday season when there's more time to even kind of binge right. that's <laughs> a little right. bit and there are there are three seasons wow, and cool, so yeah better. and they're longer it's kind of that in the style of the bbc where each episode is quite long um and the arc is is just incredible and you really i'll just say like i was really nervous at the end of season two and i'm like i will be so mad <laughs> if they don't if this poor couple are not able to, you know, be matched in a way that brings some form of closure to them and us, but it ends in a very hopeful way. So don't be discouraged, but definitely watch all three seasons. So the first scene is, season is kind of their journey of preparation, and the second season is their first attempt to become foster parents. And then the third season, you have this more of a connection with individual kids. So it's worth, it is worth a binge. It is like the healthiest binge you could do for your soul. <laughs> I can't wait. That sounds fantastic. Okay. I think the through through the connecting thread here is maybe that idea of goodness, although in a very different form, <laughs> my next recommendation. I have been reading a book by an author I love and know well, but I have never read this, which is one of his most famous books. So um uh yeah, just just pick this up. So 
G.K. Chesterton, mm. and this is his book, The Man Who Was Thursday, which the subtitle is, I think, it's not here on the front of my book. I need to look. The subtitle, I believe, is A Nightmare. Oh. So, so that doesn't sound connected at all, but it is. It is. So, yeah, here it is. The Man Who Was Thursday, A Nightmare by G.K. Chesterton. Oh, wow. So, I know Chesterton, uh, like Father Brown Mysteries, which I love, which are these wonderful little, like, philosophical puzzle mysteries, um, cozy and smart. I love books like he writes essays about Christianity and um, like a really life-changing book for me back in my early 20s was The Romance of Orthodoxy. So, I know, I, I thought I knew Chesterton, but The Man Who Was Thursday is different. It huh. is insane. <laughs> <laughs> it is surreal. Um, so it's it, it it's insane. It's a it's from 1908. Um, in a nutshell, it is about um, a detective who gets caught up in some kind of nightmare world with oh, um, no. anarchists in oh, London, wow. like you know, turn of that century London. He gets um, in a crazy way, like drawn up into this anarchist circle, and. Um, and the adventures, like, it's comical, it's weird, it's insane, it's funny, and it is deeply thoughtful. So, I've heard it described as a metaphysical thriller, which I think is very apt. But the reason I, I think actually is connected to this idea of goodness, so I started reading it, again, because of this Ecclesiastes class I'm in, which is giving me so much good stuff to think about. Um, again, the, our new priest, Father Philip, just was throwing out some different literary works that he said had kind of something in common with the themes of Ecclesiastes. And he mentioned the man who was Thursday. And I really? thought, what? what does that have to do with Ecclesiastes? But here's what it is. Um, what I've been realizing in Ecclesiastes is that this book that feels like it's telling us life doesn't matter, you know, vanity, vanity, is really saying like, look, guys, life is short hmm. and uh, you don't have all that much time, but God has put you in a world with a lot of good stuff. Like there is food to eat and friendship to enjoy and, um, you know, the sun rises and the seasons circle and are you noticing? Are you paying attention? Or have you got caught up in these like spiritual fantasies about, you know, um, accomplishing great things for God so that you're not even noticing like the ordinary pleasures of ordinary life. It's very out of the ordinary podcast, I have to say. Um, so I'm really, uh, yeah, just really enjoying thinking about Ecclesiastes in this way. I'm enjoying how it really takes the pressure off in terms of like carpe diem, you know, seize the day, <laughs> make every moment count. And instead of saying like, oh, child, like you are like a flower of the field, <laughs> you know, your life is pretty short, but, but look where God has planted you and look how God takes care of you. And I think in Chesterton, in this novel, that crazy world of the anarchists who are so, like everything in them is evil and destructive, um, is juxtaposed against a kind of goodness is very ordinary. Huh. And so, it doesn't take actually these like warriors to defeat these anarchists. Instead, it takes ordinary people who are who are aware of like just the ordinary goodness of life and the very ordinary sense of right and wrong and and telling the truth and being a good friend. Um, there's kind of like almost an irritating plot line. I found it irritating where this 
main character gets into so much trouble because he just won't break his promise that he made to this anarchist. And part of me just wants to say, who cares? Break your promise. But that's part of the point of the book is like, he's just an ordinary guy who values the truth. And that actually is going to be the thing that in the Mm. end, like kind of stands up firm against this world of like destructive anarchy and evil. So it's Mm. a bizarre novel. It's super (laughs) interesting. And at the end of the day, I think it's like really validating this message we have in the podcast, which is that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. Wow. (laughs) It causes me anxiety just to hear that plot. I'm not sure I would (laughs) willingly enter into that story. Those kind of things make me crazy. I want to be like, just just yeah, like just quit him. Who cares? Like yeah, yeah. Anarchists can't be trusted. You you don't have to have a binding word with them. But I do think it's interesting how you're talking about this idea of like chaos and anarchy versus goodness, because part of goodness is also what I would describe as permanence, like a wholeness, like in the way that trees are rooted and are good, uh, compared to maybe just like the conflagration of highways that are just paving over everything and chaotic and have accidents and compared to forests. I don't know. That's kind of what came to mind. And it feels like a good segue. We did not talk ahead of time into this next Mm. show, which definitely, if if the book is sort of a, a red version of chaos Mm -hmm. this is like the the visual storytelling version of it because that's what the show is so this is a brand new show it just dropped i feel like last week on netflix it's called inside man and it stars both david tennant and stanley tucci oh nice it is like so it was the most surprising weird chaotic And yet I cannot stop thinking about it. So here's the premise. It takes place both in America and the United Kingdom. So in America, you have the Stanley Tucci character who is on death row for having killed his wife. We never learn the surrounding information about why he killed his wife. But you know, even from the trailer, he killed his wife. He is on death row for that. And what's interesting about him is he believes he deserves to be there. And so there's a lot of philosophical conversation he has about how he doesn't want to die, like who wants to die, but he believes he deserves to die for what happened to him. And he has this weird <laughs> reputation because he is he's a professor who is, who is quite famous um, in all kinds of fields. And so people bring him their cases or their weird puzzles they can't solve. And the warden allows him to hold these meetings where he will hear your case and then offer you his his solution like what he who he thinks did it or what happened and they call him the death row detective but he has this one rule he'll only take a case if there's like a moral compass in it like something where that person deserves some form of justice and it's because he himself feels so sure of a moral compass and it's why he believes what he did was wrong but he says this interesting thing when there's a young journalist who comes to interview him and she's clearly judging him like she looks down on him and he says that's the right posture to have you should judge me like I judge myself and she just says I just can't believe you would do that like how could you have done that to your wife like it's so terrible what you did and um, you'll learn more as you listen to the show like you know the sort of 
how he killed his wife. We don't learn why ever, but it is not pleasant what he did. And then he says this sentence. He goes, all of us are murderers. All it takes is a good reason on a bad day. (laughs) And I'm telling you that ran up and down my spine because you realize that is a biblical truth right there. Like how hatred, how murder begins in the heart. Jesus talks about this. Mm -hmm. It's why we love Mm -hmm. Louise Penny books Mm -hmm. because she says murder is something that starts years in the past. It grows in the dark. It infects you like a disease. And, And then one sentence It can happen if there's a good reason on a bad day. Cut to the United Kingdom, where our good friend David Tennant is playing the local village vicar is the character. And the vicar is a person you by instinct trust. He has the white collar and he and his wife have this woman who works for them as a math tutor for their son. And the vicar picks her up from the train station and brings her to their house where he is, where she tutors him, her son, their son. And through a series of events that I won't get into, I will simply say the vicar has in one split second, a bad day and a good reason. And before you can believe what is happening, he has attacked and locked in his basement, this woman who is the math tutor. And then you see his face as he realizes what he's done and tries to understand what he will do next. Wow. And while you have the murderer in the, in the United States, who's very clear about the moral compass and how he has wronged all natural laws, the vicar keeps trying to justify every decision he makes as somehow motivated out of a sacrificial good intent. And it is the most fascinating spiral to watch him literally act like he's the martyr, like this terrible things he continues to do. He feels like he's doing them almost like a sacrificial service. And in one of the last moments, without saying what is happening in that moment, when he is being accused and like confronted by what he is doing, he yells out, I'm doing the best. I'm doing good. I'm the dang vicar. And you are like... Oh, my word, like that is in all of us in which we can twist like our behaviors and our justifications in very, very Machiavellian ways that I think we've watched play out all across America in the last several election cycles. No matter which side of the party system you are on, everybody somehow has said they are the good one. They see it the best. And so they're justified. So I tell you what, it was so shocking to watch that the the escalations happen in that show <laughs> as he every step of the way acts like he's somehow the the martyr like he's the good guy so i won't explain how the two stories intersect it's fascinating i couldn't stop watching and it's so good yeah i'll definitely be watching that Definitely watching that with Jonathan. That sounds like <laughs> something we would both appreciate. Yeah. Um, and it's, a, yeah, that sounds great. It's a reason why I consistently do read murder mysteries. <laughs> it's like they are 
head on grappling with goodness, with evil, and with this idea that evil is not just this thing out there in the world, but yeah. this thing that actually emerges from the human heart, yes. which is really terrifying, terrifying. and really true. Mm-hmm. And I think is good for each of us to take really seriously. Whew. You know, it's not totally different from my third book recommendation, although we are moving into a very different genre. <laughs> um, but before I actually tell you what this is, um, I just have to say, so our listeners are possibly aware that we don't share a lot about the podcast, like on social media, on Facebook or Instagram. And actually recently, maybe you saw that we dropped a little note in there just to make sure that people know that, hey, if you're looking for connection and conversation around the podcast, it's not happening on Facebook. It's really happening in the Black Barn online, which we have talked about in the past. So people, especially on Thursdays, we drop a little provocation, a little prompt in there to encourage conversation around the podcast. And it's not so much a place where you can talk to us, although we are there. I, I like to, I, I definitely drop into those conversations, but it's more a chance like, I wanted to create, we wanted to create a space where our listeners can talk to one another. So that mm. happens in the Blackburn online. It's free. Come on in. And we'll there's a link, sure to the there's a link notes, in the show notes. So you can find yeah, it if you always. haven't before. Um, but the other cool thing that happens in the Blackburn online is the Black Barn Literary Society. So because Lisa Joe and I love books and our friends and our community, we all love to read. Um, gosh, was it a year ago? Two years ago now? I've really lost track. But we um, in the Blackburn online began something called the Blackburn Literary Society. And uh, this was my good friend Patty Olson's idea. She um, dreamed up the idea. She leads it so well. And the Blackburn Literary Society, it's like a membership book club. It's an online conversation group. But the thing that is so cool about it to me is that it is not, it's not just an ordinary or what I think of as an ordinary book club where you read a book, you get together, you talk about it. And it's like, did I like it? You know, would I would I give this book five stars? You know, that kind of an attitude toward books that like books are somehow like products or, you know, just things to consume or, you know, that whole attitude that permeates our culture where we like rate books on Amazon the same way we rate vacuum cleaners. Like mm. it's really bad. <laughs> um, but the Blackburn Literary Society rather is, um, you know, a community that really honors books and and doesn't lose sight of the fact that other humans are creating these books. And so um, just what does it mean to read with curiosity, with openness, not in order to like everything, um, but to just engage with it in a really honorable way, especially as Christians, right? So, Patty does that so well in the Blackburn Literary Society. And this is why I'm bringing this up. Um, Sometimes I read a book. Well, sometimes Patty does it for me, and sometimes I do it for her, where I read something and I'm like, oh, Patty, (laughs) Blackburn Literary Society, because Patty chooses the books each month. And so, we are thinking that this book I'm about to tell you about um, will quite likely be a spring, maybe an Easter time selection in the Black Barn Literary Society. Um, So, if what I'm about to share sounds at all interesting, or even if it doesn't, just come on into the Black Barn online, um, because every month they're reading new books, talking about them, and as well, a new... Um, sort of chapter, a new little community of the Literary Society is getting started like right now at the end of November 
into December um, because the community portion of the Literary Society has turned out to be so great that Patty um, is capping the original community at 30 people um, and she's opening up chapter two. So if this idea of uh, community relationships around um, great books is appealing, now is the time because the Blackburn Literary Society, it's just 10 bucks a month and a new chapter is forming right now. So we will make sure to drop that link um, into the show notes as well. You can always reach out to me online if you have questions or just come into the Blackburn online and ask your questions. But here's the book. Here is why <laughs> I've been telling you about the Blackburn Literary Society, because um, I have recommended as a spring book for them this book called The Door on Half Bald Hill by um, Helena Sorensen. Do you know this book, Lisa Joe? No, that's new I'm to like me. Showing, this is, listeners, this is me showing Lisa Joe the cover <laughs> right now, <laughs> which, by the way, is gorgeous and I believe is by the artist who I got to meet recently. He was so delightful. Um uh, Stephen Krotz, I think is his name. I'm going to just is it, is it a pretty recent that. book? Is it a new book? Yeah, it's fairly recent. It's from the Rabbit Room Press. Oh. Um, yeah, Stephen Krotz did the cover design and maps and illustrations throughout the book. Um, okay, so this book is very much concerned with good and evil. It's a fantasy novel. And I... I love it, and I think it's connected to this larger conversation we're having, Lisa Joe, because um, it is not easy to figure. So it, it's not that there's vagueness about goodness and evil, but this book is very honest about how, as humans, it can be hard for us to know. Like if we're trying to look at our own community or our own traditions or our ways of living or people we've known a long time, like are they? Are they behaving in ways or leading us in ways that are leading us toward goodness or not? And so this story is very honest about how sometimes we're not sure and the kind of like discernment and process and waiting that might go into it. And I think that's really good to recognize that while we may be sure that there is goodness and there is evil, they don't always come neatly labeled, right? They don't like walk around with with stickers. Hello, my name is Evil. (laughs) (laughs) And this fantasy novel is really honest about that. And okay, so a few things, um, especially about like fantasy as a genre. So I will be honest, when I started this, I started it because it had come highly recommended. Um, And so I was committed. But as I started it, part of me thought, and I often feel this way with fantasy novels where there's a lot of world building, you know, where you're kind of entering into like Mm. a whole new world and culture and maybe language. I felt that familiar feeling of like, oh, I don't know. Feels like work. Yeah, it feels like work. Exactly. So that is why I often don't read, I don't read a lot of fantasy because I feel like I don't maybe have the energy to like get up to speed with new worlds all the time. <laughs> you know, like I like yes. Narnia, I like Middle Earth. And I like maybe the ones I already know. <laughs> yeah, already exactly. Visited. So I had a moment where I felt, oh, I don't know, am I up for this? Well, I'm so glad I kept reading. And I really um, credit this writer because what she has done is she has taken some familiar 
aspects from our world and particularly um, from like Celtic cultures, like Scottish or Irish cultures, which many of us have some familiarity with. And she has used that as sort of the building blocks for her own world, almost to the extent like I haven't I don't know what she says about this book. I didn't do any research like what she's written about it or what's been said about it. I've just read it. Um, But it's almost as if, like, I like to imagine as I was reading it that maybe this is a true story that happened long ago in a kind of prehistory of Ireland or Scotland, right? So it's not even necessarily a whole new world. It might be our world just a long, long time ago, right? And in this particular place. So once I realized like that's what she was doing, it it became much easier to just go with it and to not like put this pressure on myself to like understand every last detail. And what happens when you do that is you read that that you become more comfortable in the world, more and more the the pieces start fitting together, the the language they're using starts making sense, their culture starts making sense. So my initial fear of like ah was very quickly overcome. And I'm so glad because the story, so this author is a Christian. um, And so the book ultimately is telling a really beautiful, profound Easter story. I'll just say that. It's a really profound Easter story, but done in such a subtle, creative, um, imaginative way that you're able to kind of encounter familiar themes, familiar Christian ideas in such a different context that it allows you to just think about them in whole new ways. And I think that is what excellent fantasy, especially excellent Christian fantasy does so well. So I'm putting this up there with my Middle Earth and my Narnia um, and the quality of the writing too. The writing is gorgeous. Uh, You know, I never had a single moment in this book where I thought, hmm, that feels clunky. Never. You just drop right in and it's gorgeous. So it is has some harder elements. Like it's sort of, you know, has some sadness in it. This is a world, at least initially, that's suffering. But the redemption is there and is really beautiful. So, highly recommend The Door on Half Bald Hill and highly recommend coming into the Black Barn Literary Society because this is the kind of book, as soon as I finished it, Lisa Joe, I was like, oh my gosh, who do I know who has read this book? Because I have to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling well, which is why I like being friends with you. <laughs> yes. All right. Lost recommendation. I know today's show is kind of a long bumper edition. Lucky you, dear listener. I hope you folded lots of laundry or put dishes away or, you know, did your carpool or commute today, keeping us keeping you company over here. So my last one's a little lighter of a recommendation. It's also a new one and it's uh, being released on Hulu. So I don't know if you have Hulu or not, but generally you can find these shows wherever you stream. You can find some way to get to them. What they're doing differently, that's sort of annoying me, but also is clever, I guess, is they are not releasing all the episodes at once. They're actually releasing I them week by week. I dislike that. It's making me more crazy. and more, isn't it? Yes. And so I like want to keep watching. I forgot what that's like to have to <laughs> wait week to week. Anyway, the show is called Alaska Daily. And it stars Hilary Swank. I don't know that she's been in anything in a while. The premise of the show is that she is a very well-known investigative journalist who works uh, in D.C. or New York. Maybe both. I don't know. The opening has her working in a big city on a big story 
that is covering one of the ministers of defense and uh, basically calling him out for corruption. Her newspaper won't back her on it. They get threatened by his legal team and they end up dropping her. So even though she has all these verified sources for reasons I won't go into, she loses her job. She loses her credibility. She is your typical stereotype, hard-nosed, you know, don't care what I look like. I'm getting to the truth of the matter. I yell at everybody around me while doing it. And then she's not sure what to do with herself. And so an old former professor slash colleague from Alaska flies in to see her in New York, where she's holed up in a hotel room working on her memoir. And he invites her to come and work with them in Alaska. And she's, as you can imagine, does not see that as a big step up in her career. (laughs) Um, But he grabs her because there's a story about a young indigenous girl who's been murdered and the police have done nothing. And she says, I mean, that's like a local story. Why are you even bringing that to me? And he says she's one of like 45 young girls in the last several years where the police have made no progress, have shown no interest, and he believes it's the kind of story she'd like to dig into. So that's that's what gets her to Alaska. That is the overarching story that's kind of bridging across all of the episodes. But of course, each episode then has its own individual stories that they're working on, characters that we meet. It's quirky and full of life, and it's only PG-13. So It's not super scary, but it's still interesting and has got compelling subject matter. It actually reminded me a lot of probably one of my favorite movies from the last few years that's called Wind River. And it unpacks the crisis of Native American women uh, who have been killed on reservations and actually at the end of the film, talks about how Native American women are the only category that the police don't keep statistics. They don't actually even know the number of women who've either gone missing or been killed. So this show felt like it was kind of continuing in that narrative, but to do with Alaskan Indigenous women. I've really loved it. It's fun fun to watch because they have these quirky characters. There's a lot about Alaska I don't know. I think Hilary Swank is doing a really good job. She brings real gravitas, both as the reporter who knows what she's doing, but also as the actress who knows what she's doing. So there's she's surrounded by a cast where sometimes it's a little hit or miss for me. Um, there are some main characters who are clearly very gifted. But it's a story that's compelling, and I care about it. And I'm also interested in journalism. Like, what does that look like? How do you find out this information? How do you work with the police? Um, I just think it's a great, great show about human development, but also just ordinary people doing their ordinary jobs. Like they are reporters who get up in the morning and they try to connect dots on stories that matter. And then some of the stories are less important. You know, there they are at the state fair covering the biggest (laughs) cabbage competition. You know, it's it's got a great mix of all of those things. And I I just really enjoyed it enough so to remember to go look for the new episode. Because sometimes if you don't give me all the episodes at once, I just forget about your show. But this one, I find myself going every week to see what's new. And so, yeah, Alaska Daily. I will look for it. Actually, I do remember either reading a recommendation or seeing the trailer and thinking, that looks really good. And then, of course, I forgot about it. So thanks for the reminder. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Wow. Well, listeners, here you go. Three books, three shows, and not just three shows, but like lots of shows within each show. So I feel like these recommendations should fill you up 
for a good long time. I know. <laughs> what do we always say at the beginning? Get comfy. That's what we say. Get comfy, friends. This is definitely a get comfy, friends get episode. Comfy. Yes. And come leave us a review because that way we find out if you enjoyed these recommendations mm-hmm. or not. If you enjoy the podcast, come and recommend it. Share it through your podcast app. It helps other people find us. And, it, you know, it just it makes us feel cozy on the inside when you do that. 